This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Do you say and do things when drinking that you regret the next day? Is alcohol a problem for you or someone you really care about? Over the next hour, we'll find out how people just like you and me found sobriety in AA through sharing their experience, strength and hope. Welcome to AA Live, brought to you by Alcoholics Anonymous. Kia ora, te whanau. Welcome to the AA Live radio show. This is the show that explores the ideas behind a way of recovery through the Alcoholics Anonymous program. Thank you for being out there and listening this evening. Much appreciated. Great to have you here. Let's open with the serenity prayer today. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. Thank you, folks. Now, Alcoholics Anonymous is a service which involves recovering alcoholics uh, who support other alcoholics that want to stop drinking through the 12 steps of recovery and the 12 traditions of AA. It is based purely on volunteers within the fellowship. I'll read you the preamble, and uh, we read this at the beginning of each meeting, and I'll read that to you, and I'll explain it just a little bit. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other, that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Folks, it is wonderful to have you out there and I'll just let you know that anything that I talk about this evening, it is purely my opinion. (laughs) It is not necessarily that of AA as a whole. We're here just chatting with you this evening uh, for the sake of having a good chat and talking about recovery. So folks, you are listening to the AA Live show in association with our friends from Otago Access Radio on 105.4 FM. And it is lovely to have you with us today. I am going to read what we call a little spirit lifter. It's our daily reflection. This is a a book that we is dated and, and it goes in line with the steps that we have. Today, July the 12th. Giving up centre stage. For without some degree of humility, no alcoholic can stay sober at all. Without it, they cannot live too much useful purpose or in adversity be able to summon the faith that can meet any emergency. And that comes from our 12 Steps and 12 Traditions book on page 70. Why do I balk at the word humility? I am not humbling myself toward other people, but toward God as I understand him. Humility means to show submissive respect. And by being humble, I realise I am not the centre of the universe. When I was drinking, I was consumed by pride and self-centredness. 
I felt the entire world revolved around me, that I was master of my destiny. Humility enables me to depend more on God to help me overcome obstacles, to help me with my own imperfections, so that I may grow spiritually. I must solve more difficult problems to increase my proficiency, and as I encounter life's stumbling blocks, I must learn to overcome them through the God of my understanding's help. Daily communion with God demonstrates my humility and provides me with the realisation that an entity more powerful than I is willing to help me if I seek, uh, cease sorry, <laughs> trying to play God myself. Humility. We do become humble the more we go into our recovery. It can take its time, but it does get there, folks. I tell you, it does. I can say that for myself. Now, we're going to listen to a recording this morning of a story from the big book. And the big book is, uh, well, basically, it gives us all the steps and teaches us how to live life sober. Uh, And uh, the story that we've got today is one that is from another alcoholic and it is her journey so enjoy this it's uh, for me it's one that relates so yes please do enjoy because i'm an alcoholic this reader finally found the answer to her nagging question why i suppose i always wondered who i was as a child isolated in the country i made up stories inventing myself along the imaginary companions to play with. Later, when we moved to a large city and I was surrounded by kids, I felt separate, like an outcast. And although I learned to go along with the cultural norm as I grew up, still underneath I felt different. Alcohol helped, at least I thought it helped, until I saw the oppressive 30-year shadow it cast on my life. I discovered it in college, and although at first I didn't drink often, didn't have the opportunity. Whenever I started, I drank as long as there was any alcohol around. It was a reflex. I don't remember liking the taste, but I liked that it seemed to bring me to life and get me through a date or a party able to talk. It moved me outside of that hole I felt in myself and lowered the wall I created between me and any person or situation that made me uncomfortable. For 10 years, through college and graduate school, interspersed with jobs, I drank periodically, so it was easy enough to think that I was a social drinker. Looking back, I see that alcohol helped me construct an image of myself as a sophisticated metropolitan woman, diminishing my feelings of being a backward country girl. I studied vintage wines and selected them with care to accompany the gourmet dishes I learned to make. I read about the correct drinks for various occasions. I learned to put just the tiniest whiff of dry vermouth into my martinis. Meanwhile, my tolerance for alcohol grew, so that while at first I got sick or passed out, as time went on, I could hold larger quantities without any visible effects, until the next morning's hangover. Behind the facade, my real life seemed just out of reach. I wanted to consider myself grown up, but inside I felt small and helpless, hardly there at all. I would look at my friends, delightful, interesting, good people, and try to define myself through them. If they saw something in me that made them want to be with me, I must have something to offer. But their love for me was not a substitute for loving myself. It didn't fill the emptiness. So I continued spinning 
spinning fantasies, and now alcohol fueled my dreams. I would make great discoveries, win the Nobel Prize in medicine, and in literature as well. Always the dream was somewhere else, further off, and I took a series of geographical cures in search of myself. I was offered a job in Paris and jumped at the chance. I packed my trunk, left my apartment to my boyfriend, and sailed off, thinking that at last I would find my real home, my real self. I began to drink daily and rationalise that in France, of course, you have to have wine with meals. And after the dinner, after the wine, then there were liqueurs. My journals and letters bear witness in the deterioration of my handwriting as the evening wore on, drinking as I wrote. It was there too that I first became dependent on alcohol. After work on the way to the Alliance Francaise for glasses, I'd stop at a bistro for a glass of cognac to give me courage to get me there. My need greater than the embarrassment of being a woman drinking alone in the 1950s. One vacation I went to visit friends in Scotland, travelling slowly through the English and Welsh countryside. The bottles of cognac and Benedictine I'd bought as gifts for them I drank in a little hotel room miles before I got there. As long as it lasted, I would stay out of the pubs. Europe hadn't proved to be the change that would repair my life, and I started west again. It was in Cambridge that I pronounced my first resolutions about cutting down. New Year's resolutions I recycled for a dozen years, while my drinking and my life kept getting worse. Alcohol had enslaved me. I was in bondage to it although I kept assuring myself that drinking was a pleasure and a choice. Blackouts began, vacant places in my life, when hours would disappear, lost to memory. The first time was after I'd given a dinner party. The next morning I woke up without remembering. I'd told my guests good night and gone to bed myself. I searched the apartment for clues. The table was cluttered with dessert dishes and coffee cups. Bottles were empty and the glasses too. It was my custom to polish off any drinks that were left. My last memory was sometime during the dinner. Did we ever finish? But there were the plates. I was terrified that I'd done something horrendous until my friends called to tell me they'd enjoyed the evening. One time we sailed from Guadalupe to a small island for a picnic, swam to the shore from the ship. After lunch and quantities of wine, I was with a French ski instructor talking to a troop of small boys on their way home from school, trying to explain to those tropical islanders what snow is like. I remember them giggling. The next thing I knew, I was back at the camp, walking to the dining room, apparently after swimming back to the ship, sailing to the port, then taking a rickety bus across the island. I had no memory of what I had done during those hours between. The blackouts increased and my terror increased with them. Telephone bills would inform me that I'd made late-night calls to distant places. I could tell from the numbers whom I'd called, but what had I said? Some mornings I woke up with a stranger who had brought me home from a party the night before. These things weighed heavily on me, but I couldn't stop drinking. I couldn't stop the drinking that had caused them. That too gnawed away any remnants of self-respect that I might have had. I was incapable of controlling my drinking and my life. I needed a drink to go any place, to the theatre, a party, a date, and later to work. I would leave my apartment, lock the door, and start down the stairs, and then turn around and go back in for another drink to get me where I planned to go. I needed a drink to do anything, 
to write, to cook, to clean the house, to paint the walls, to take a bath. When I passed out and fell into bed early, I woke up at four or five and had Irish coffee to start the day. I discovered that beer was better than orange juice to ease my hangover. Afraid my colleagues or students would smell my breath at work, I was careful to keep my distance. When I got up late and rushed off to the lab, fortified only with coffee, my hands shook so badly it was impossible to weigh out the milligrams of compounds needed for an experiment. When I went out to lunch with another alcoholic, we might never get back to work that day. Somehow I still managed to keep my job, and most of my friends, social drinkers who were urging me to cut down on the alcohol. That counsel only made me mad, but I was concerned myself. I asked the therapist I was seeing, sometimes with a beer in hand, would I have to stop? His answer was that we had to find out why I drank. I'd also tried, but had never been able to find out why until I learned the answer in AA, because I'm an alcoholic. With my attempts to cut down, I stopped keeping alcohol around the house. Drank up whatever was there, over and over deciding not to get more. Then on the way home after work or an evening out, I'd have to see if I could scrape together enough money for a bottle. There were liquor stores just about every block, and I rotated them so the salesman wouldn't know how much I drank. On Sundays when the liquor stores were closed, I had to make do with beer or hard cider from the grocery. The horrors grew, inner horrors. On the surface, it looked as though I was more or less keeping it together. But day by day, I was dying inside, filled with fears I couldn't name but which shook me to the core. My first fear was that I was an alcoholic. I wasn't sure what that was, except that I might end up down on the Bowery in New York, where I had seen drunks curled up on the sidewalk. I made another New Year's resolution, to stop drinking entirely until I could handle it, and then I told myself I could go back to wine and beer. Hands trembling, body shaky, head splitting, I survived that first day until I was fairly safe in bed in an alcohol-free apartment. Somehow I'd made it through a couple more days, miserable in withdrawal. In spite of managing to stay dry that time, I have no doubt that resolution would have crumbled like the others and I would have been drinking again if I hadn't found AA. I had left the therapist who hadn't been able to tell me why I drank and on New Year's Eve, I went to a party at the home of my new therapist. A few days later in the group, the therapist said, you're drinking even more than I realised. You're an alcoholic. I think you should stop drinking, see a doctor and go to AA. My resolution had endured three days and I protested. I am not an alcoholic. That was my very last denial. Say it the other way, he suggested. I am an alcoholic. It came out in a whisper, but it sounded right. I've said it thousands of times since then, and with gratitude. What I was most afraid to admit that evening was what would set me free. The therapist told me then and there to call someone who had been in our therapy group, a doctor on the staff of hospital, alcoholism service. I'll call her tomorrow, I said. Call her now, he said and he handed me the telephone. When I asked her if I was an alcoholic, she said that from what she'd seen of my drinking, I might be, and suggested that I talk to her boss. Terrified, I made an appointment and kept it. She told me the symptoms of alcoholism, 
and I had them all. She gave me the list of AA meetings and recommended one. I went that evening, a small women's group. I was scared and in withdrawal. Someone greeted me and I muttered my name aloud. Someone brought me a cup of coffee. People gave me their phone numbers and urged me to call, to pick up the telephone instead of a drink. They were warm and friendly. They said, keep coming back. And I did. For weeks I sat in the back of the rooms, silent, and others shared their experience, strength and hope. I listened to their stories and found so many areas where we overlapped. Not all of the deeds, but the feelings of remorse and hopelessness. I learned that alcoholism isn't a sin, it's a disease. That lifted the guilt I felt. I learned that I didn't have to stop drinking forever, but just not pick up that first drink one day, one hour at a time. I could manage that. There was laughter in those rooms and sometimes tears, but always love. And when I was able to let it in, that love helped me heal. I read everything I could about this disease I have. My readings recounted the course I had lived and predicted the way I would die if I continued drinking. I had access to a good medical library, but after a while I realized the genetics and chemistry of the disease were of no use to me as an alcoholic. All that I needed to know about was what would help me to get sober, help me recover, and I could learn in AA. I was blessed to live in a city where there were meetings at all hours of the day and night. There I would be safe. And there, within a few blocks of my apartment, at last, I would find the self I had travelled thousands of miles in search of. The slogans on the walls, which at first made me shudder, began to impress me as truths that I could live by, one day at a time. Easy does it. Keep it simple. Live and let live. Let go and let God. The Serenity Prayer Commitment and service were part of recovery. I was told that to keep it, we have to give it away. At first I made the coffee and later volunteered at the intergroup office answering telephones on the evening shift. I went on 12 steps, calls, spoke at meetings, served as a group officer. Ever so gradually, I began to open, just a crack at first with my head on the door, ready to slam it shut at the moment of fear. But my fears subsided too. I found that I could be there, open to all kinds of people from the solid base that we shared. Then I began to go back out into the world, carrying that strength with me. I found that now I could do many things without a drink. Write, answer the telephone, eat out, go to parties, make love, get through the day and the evenings, sleep at night, and get up in the morning ready to begin next day. I was amazed and proud to have gone a week without a drink, within a month. Then I lived an entire year sober, through my birthday, Christmas, problems, successes, the mixture that makes up life. I healed physically, felt good, my senses returned. I began to hear the delicate sound of autumn leaves rattling in the wind, to feel the touch of snowflakes on my face, to see the first new leaves of spring. Then I began to heal emotionally, to experience feelings that had long been so deeply buried they had atrophied. For a time I floated on that pink cloud, then I cried for a year, raged for another year. My feelings returned and then began to settle down to a reasonable size. After all, I healed spiritually, and the steps took me on that path. I had admitted I was powerless over alcohol, that my life had become unmanageable, that that was what got me through the door. Then I came to believe that a power greater than myself would restore me to sanity. And eventually I made a decision to turn my will and my life 
over to the care of God as I had understood God. Years before in my search, I had explored numerous religions and dropped them because they preached a patriarchal God, which I felt never included me. Alcoholics Anonymous, I was told, is a spiritual program, not a religious one. Through my years of darkness, some spark of spirit remained in me, helped me survive, until I found my way. Through my years of darkness, some spark of spirit remained in me and helped me to survive until I found my way into AA. Then nurtured by the program, that inner spirit grew, deepened until it filled the emptiness I had so long felt inside. Step by step, I moved to a spiritual awakening. Step by step, I cleared up the past and got on with the present. AA is my home now and it is everywhere. I go to meetings when I travel here or in foreign countries and the people are my family. But I can know because of what we share. As I write this in my 28th year of sobriety, I am amazed to look back and remember the woman or child I was then to see how far I've come out of that abyss. Alcoholics Anonymous has enabled me to move from fantasies about what I might do with my life into living it one day at a time. In my first move, that was not a geographic. I left the city and moved to the country. I left research and became a gardener. I discovered that I am lesbian and that I love women. I am fulfilling a long-time dream of writing fiction that's being published. But these are things I do, aspects of the life I'm living in sobriety. The most precious discovery is that I really am, like all of us, a being far beyond any of the ego selves, any of the fantasies I'd made up. That sense of being different, which had long plagued me, disappeared when I saw the threads that run through all of us, sharing our stories, our feelings. It is the areas where we are the same that impress me. The differences are, but delightful flourishes on the surface, surface, like different coloured costumes, and I enjoy them, but the basic ways we are humans the basic ways we simply are, stand out to me now. I came to see that we are all really one and I no longer feel alone. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. You are listening to the AA Live Show in association with our friends from Otago Access Radio on 105.4 FM. Now, folks, I wanted to share this joke with you. My my son likes to tell me jokes and uh, <laughs> He told me this one the other day. Is, uh, I need to share it with you. It goes like this. The son asks his mum one day, Mum, what's an alcoholic? Mum thinks for a moment and replies, Well, son, you see those two birds over there on the branch of that tree? Well, if you were an alcoholic, you'd see four birds. And the son pauses and looks up at his mum and replies, But mum, there's only one bird. <laughs> I have to say, I really enjoyed that <laughs> joke. <laughs> anyway, here we go. We're going to go on to an interview we had with Harry. And uh, this is Harry's story of uh, strength and hope and his experience. So enjoy this. Thank you. I am really lucky this today. I have a guest here, Harry, who's a, a fellow member of AA with me who uh, went... And he started on his journey before me, um, and I met him, I think he was six months or maybe a little bit more, maybe six months when I first met Harry. And I have to say, folks, I have watched him 
and his development and I feel very honoured today that he has said um, he would uh, chat to me about his his journey and how it goes so welcome Harry how are you? Yeah I'm good thank you for having me and it's great to be of service. Oh look it's great to have you here it's wonderful thank you. Um, I just wanted to probably start off today with that um, we talk about the our lives becoming completely unmanageable and I wondered if you wanted to just uh, talk about how that happened for you and what you sort of uh, experienced I suppose. Yeah uh, absolutely so for me unmanageability or unmanageable and um, relating that to my alcoholism um, the fact or every time I took that first drink um, I had no control over what I was gonna over what was gonna happen um, from what I would say what I would do how I'd behave and um, if that's not unmanageability I don't know what is I kind of liken it to an analogy like to run a good business you've got to have good management and um, if that business isn't isn't run from a from a good management point of view um, that business will go bankrupt mm, absolutely and you know if I bring it back to my alcoholism the unmanageability got so bad that I ended up spiritually bankrupt in, in, in all aspects of my life and um, it got me to a point of, of um, absolute hopelessness and utter defeat and I was broken. I was broken in two and um, couldn't see a way out. Mm. Yeah. It's not a nice place to be is it? No it's not but you know it's good to draw back on that experience and, and see you know where, how far you've come and um, you know different living a different life. I can manage myself now that I'm, I've got some sobriety and, and it's an amazing feeling. Yeah I must say I do wake up the, my days and it's a whole different day to what it was you know 18 months ago. It's uh, yet yeah, it's a good way to be tell me when it came to your uh, decision to do something about it what was it that made you do that like did you have a specific occurrence that happened that made you think right I really need to wake up here or um, what was it that moved you to it yeah so so you know I spent 25 years in full-on pretty much full-on alcohol addiction and there was many a time I woke up and and um, I would say to myself that you know this is it I can't do this anymore the the hangovers are, are, are too too strong it was taking me two or three days to recover and, and you know people say if you're an alcoholic you don't get hangovers well from my experience that that's not true um, I'd be hungover and then continue to drink for it, power my way through it to, to try and ease the jitters. But um, back to, yeah, the point, I guess um, I, I could see how much I was destroying everyone around me and I had some good stuff around me and, um, you know, children, are, you know, I'm a father and um, 
I could see it was just breaking my, my girl's heart seeing the, the the state I was getting and, and, and the way I was behaving and you know that's not an example I want to set for my children. Um, so you know, I come, I come into the fellowship, and and I can turn that around and be be a better father. So ultimately, that that's where it is. And um, you know, I guess you just get to a point where I was just so, you know, it's a cliche, but I was so sick of just being sick all the time, and um, I was just ready to do something about it. And and I'm very grateful for that because. Um, Man, you can turn you can turn things around, you know, and it's 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 great to be alive, you know, and I, and I, at times I just you know there were points where I just didn't want to live. All I lived for was the bottle. I was a slave to the alcohol, and that's completely different today. Yes, the insanity of it, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but. Um, you know, we come back to that unmanageability, and the thing was, like, I knew my life was unmanageable, unmanageable, but I just, I, I had no way out. I felt there was nothing I could do about it, and um, you know, alcohol, alcoholism, it, it's, it's, it centres in the mind, and um, that rings so true for me. I was um, every, every living moment was my thinking was around how am I going to get loaded can I get through my day of work and the reward at the end of that's a drink but you know most normal drinkers they, they can have one and and leave it at that if I have one I don't know when it's going to end and um, you know that's the power that's the power of this disease it'll it'll slowly strip away everything and I'm just fortunate you know I still have have my children in my life and and a, a loving partner. Um, so yeah, I feel very fortunate. Tell me, when you first started drinking, Harry, was it something out of control for you from the beginning, or was it something that developed through time? Um, yeah, good question. So, you know, I was born in the early 70s. Um, so things are obviously a lot different now. There's a lot more education around this, which which I think is great, but there, there could be a hell of a lot more. But yeah, so I I had a real early drunk at a young age. Um, I still remember it now. And then I had a another one in my early, very early teens, and um, it was really, really messy. There was police involved and vomit and whatnot, and. Um, and I would have thought that having those experiences at a very young age, you know, the fact that I still remember it um, says something in itself. But um, I continued to, to build on that. And, um, yeah, it just had all power over me and, and I was hopeless to, to control it. I was smoking um, cannabis when I was going to high school, hated school, um, left when I was 15, got a job, and so I was earning money, and um, all, I was, all this guy wanted to do was party and, and be the cool guy and make friends, and, and alcohol enabled me to do that, you know, um, and yeah, look out, that that was so, yeah, from, from 16, I could count on one hand the, the good times that I had, and yeah, that's pretty sad, really. Um, it wasn't all bad, but 
it was yeah it, there was there was very few far in between good times put it that way because I would always have to take it to the next past the the sociable side of it I would have to get absolutely blottoed and 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 then back it up the next day that that's that's just the way it was right from the start yeah that's just uh that's a frightening prospect but one that i think is very common within all of us when we talk about our, our experience with alcohol um that it, it it's something that that all we think needs to be fed it's uh you know we just want to feed the beast constantly don't we yeah well you know the the mental obsession and and, mm. and i can relate to that i mean God, every living moment was just centered around alcohol. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's interesting. I um, I knew it was bad before, pretty much before my twenty-first, um, and then um, I thought it might be a good idea if I leave my hometown. So, so I, I moved about two hours up the road and, and thought, you know, I'll get a fresh start and. Um, always worked I, I feel you know I was very much a, a functioning alcoholic because um, I was always taught you know um, if you're gonna drink heavy you back it up the next day you get your ass to work and and um, you know in some ways I guess that's why I went for so long um, I was fortunate enough I was earning good money working um, for a logging contractor and I thought to myself you know you can't keep drinking all this money away and um, I saved a bit and, and, and managed to buy a house so I was responsible and I was paying my mortgage but I was drinking almost at that point on a, on a daily basis by then but you know um, managing to do work um, there was always beers in the work van and, and then that would just continue on and yeah um, it just stemmed from there it was just very much a work hard play hard environment and um, I was right in amongst it and I couldn't get enough of it and, and yeah I just thought I was the best thing out but um, as you go along it becomes more and more controlling and it just takes little bites at a time for me and um, you know if I'm waking up on a Saturday morning from a big Friday night and then backing it up again and then having another big having a Saturday night and then waking up on the Sunday and doing it again <laughs> um, you know, there's there's warning signs there, but I, I just never saw them. I just honestly thought that was normal, and that's what my head was telling me. So, um, yeah, that was the trend for that period. And then then I moved down. I was fortunate enough. I moved down south, and um, I thought, oh, this time it'll be different. You know, a new location, and and um, you know, it was for a little while. I tried to tried to manage it the best I could, but yeah, I just fell back into those 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 same old, old habits and and you know along the way I made some beautiful relationships and met some wonderful people and and um, I could semi control it for a while but sooner or later that you know that that calling 
full of more and more alcohol was was just too strong and, and I'd revert back to my old ways and ultimately destroy you know some really really wonderful moments in my life um, yeah what a life lesson yeah that's um, that's also seems to be a common thread through all of us that uh, we've we've uh, continued on or we've tried to manage it I think is the word you used and it just doesn't work well that's it like hindsight's a wonderful thing but I always thought I could control this um yeah I think and that's why it took me so long because I knew there was an issue but I had no no tools or, or means to to control it and the more I tried to control it the more painful it got because um, if I I could go about two days but then I would start getting I was starting to get shaky I'd get really grumpy and um, to put everyone out of their misery um, in some ways I was told just have a have a drink Harry you know um, because yeah, I was acting like a like a drunk um, without the alcohol, and then once I took 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 the drink, I, I felt like I was calm and I was away again. But then once again, I took that one drink and and I was off, and I, I could stop that night sometimes, or it could go for a week, a month, or sometimes even two months, and. Um, yeah, I just felt like there was no way out, and and in the end, it just got too much, and and yeah, life life really wasn't worth living. I'd just like to introduce the daily reflection um, as a spirit lifter for today, May the eighteenth, and the title is "Freedom to Be Me." If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. And that's from Alcoholics Anonymous, page 83. My first true freedom is the freedom not to have to take a drink today. If I truly want it, I will work the 12 steps and the happiness of this freedom will come to me through the steps. Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. Other freedoms will follow and inventorying them is a new happiness. I had a new freedom today the freedom to be me. I have the freedom to be the best me I have ever been. I like that reading. Thanks, Chrissy. That's a nice reading, that one. Yeah, so what, what are some of the freedoms, you think, that you guys obtained? Oh, my gosh, my freedoms. I have so many. Hmm. <laughs> not, not being tied down anymore to the alcohol, obviously, is massive. So there's money freedom. Hmm. <clears throat> there's... Uh, uh, peacefulness. There's the, the freedom to be able to sleep properly. You don't realise actually a lot of the things that are happening in your life of people not trusting you, people looking at you differently, and you're not really realising that whole part of being able to be me. Look, I, I didn't think I was a very good person at all. I didn't have a very uh, high worthiness of myself. So. I don't feel so much like that now. I'm discovering who me is. Mm. Uh, it's really, yeah, I had drowned me, <laughs> basically. Yep. Mm, so, Yeah, for me it was um, 
It first became apparent when I was talking to another person in recovery and I was like, oh, I don't know what to do today. You know, I was in the post. Uh, I was in early recovery and I was a bit bored. I didn't realise how much time I spent drinking. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I had all this time and I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm, you know, what are you doing today? I don't know what I'm going to do. He said, and he just turned around to me and he said, Chrissy, you're free. Mm. You're Absolutely. free yep. to do anything you want. In the old days, it would have been inside with the curtain shut, drinking a bottle of wine. I was free. And that, at that moment, that freedom really struck me. That, that He said to me, you could go for a walk on the beach. And that was the start of me going on the walk on the beach, incidentally. But I could do anything. And for me, it was that feeling of not ha- being controlled by something. Yeah, that, that mm. losing that's that the, control. That's the most massive one. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I hope the boss is not listening, but I've, I figured out that I didn't have to work so hard because... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I have um, too. I wasn't paying for my addiction as well, you know. Um, yeah, yeah so, absolutely. Sorry, boss. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not working so hard anymore. I realised the same. I actually, uh, I uh, in recovery, I closed my business. <laughs> and changed my vocation completely because I didn't need to work that hard and I didn't need the stress. Yeah. I realised I didn't have to actually have that. Change is coming, isn't it? But it's good change. Mm, it's yeah. great change. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. Well, well, let's head back into our interview um, and carry on with that. Yeah, if I, if I head into my recovery, I... Mine was very, um, it was very structured. It's interesting because, yeah, if I just back up a bit, I did come into the rooms, oh, this, and this is a rough, rough guess, four or five years ago. So I was aware that I had a problem. Um, obviously, I wasn't at a point where I could admit that. Um, and and I come into the rooms, and I think I did about three meetings. Um, and... You know what, I just made up my mind, I said, nah, this is not for me, I can't do this, you know, we're, we're holding hands and we're doing the serenity prayer, and I was, I, 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 honestly, I think I said they're just a bit too happy clappy for me, and you know, it was just a, a convenient excuse because I wasn't in no way getting real about this, and, and the other thing that, that I see now is that I was doing it for someone else, I was doing it to save my relationship. And I thought I could buy my time. You see, I, us alcoholics, we get quite cunning and we think of great ways to get around things and to maintain whatever, as long as it, well, for me, it didn't interfere with my drinking. So I thought, you know, if I show that I can go to a few meetings, um, maybe I'll, you know, I can save my relationship. And, and, and for a wee while there I did, you know. Um, but then that... that that dreaded fear of that drink come back and, and, and I needed that relief. My mind told me that's what I need and that's what I acted on and then I wonder why it all just turns pear-shaped and um, I'm a mess. Everyone around me that I hold, you know, that is dear to me, that I genuinely love, um, I was just single-handedly destroying that. So... Um, we get a bit belligerent, don't we, when someone tells us to uh, pull our heads in with our drinking? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, that, that's the hard thing about, you know, um, people watching us just destroy ourselves. And, and, and um, 
you know they are the the, the compassion's there but they just don't understand the the power that you know an alcoholic that drinking has over that person it is a disease and and like i said it centers in the mind and um yeah man it's powerful stuff so you know i i did lots of um counseling um around you know to to try and help me with my drinking and and and, and other things which was very helpful um you know where drinking wasn't involved but it always come back to that and um i'd be asked you know how much do you drink and not half that amount and and they were saying that you know well that that is a lot of um alcohol to consume and i was thinking man if only you knew what i was really drinking you know yeah there's that cunning comes back out doesn't it the yeah, lying the yeah. cunning yeah I, ju- I just wasn't being honest and um mm. you know it, alcohol was was the love of my life unfortunately it's sad to say that i put it before anything alcohol was at the top of the list and um you know that that's where this thing will take you but um so yeah yeah i got plenty of plenty of um counseling and whatnot and, and help around that to try and solve it but um i'd just revert back to my old ways and um yeah, one day I just woke up full of dread and fear and I was just, yeah, sick of life and didn't know what to do. So so I reached out, I, I picked up the phone and I reached out to the local Salvation Army and, um, and man, they were amazing straight off the bat. Oh, that actually, that comes to mind now. So, yeah, I actually visited the Salvation Army as well about two years prior to getting right. sober. Right. And I went in and met, met the, the guy and all that, and we talked about it. And I was slowly opening up to this and, and getting real and, and said, you know, alcohol is controlling my life. Um, but unfortunately that was as far as I got so I had to go another two two and a half years and man two years of research and I just it ramps up man I ramped it up something something shocking but still managed to hold down my job and yeah so when you had your last drink did you think it was going to be your last drink no no I didn't it was just another bender of a night out of control drinking and um yeah i'd i'd said a few things and 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 upset my partner and and she removed the children from the house um it wasn't pretty and that was the first time she did it and um they come back in the morning because they left in a hurry because they had no clothes and whatnot for school the next day and i remember looking at my daughter and the pain and and her on her face it was just I know I'll never forget it it's a great motivator that uh you know a great reminder of of where you know that I don't want to revert back to this and and I could see in her eyes that I was destroying her life and yeah that was that was that was the turning point and I just thought to myself I just can't do this anymore I need help and um for me to ask and reach out for help was um 
that was a really big call for me to make because I never asked for help. I could always do it my way, but I was done. And if I didn't sort this out, alcohol was going to do me. And I didn't want that after seeing the look in my daughter's eye. Yeah, it's a scary thing. You did a really strong thing. That's pretty amazing. Do you tell me about life now? Like for you, the way you live now, and how is it? Are you, are you enjoying life? Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing, you know. Um, yeah, if I just quickly mention, so I did eventually get into the Salvation Army and I, and I volunteered myself into rehab. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, that, that that was the start of it. Um, and, yeah, I did, did a nine-week program. Um, yeah, a treatment program. And so, yeah, I had to come clean and, and take time off work, etc. And but it was the best thing I could have ever done because it just let the fog clear a wee bit. And I actually like learnt that you know how controlling and powerful and and how do the disease works. And um, out of that come, I had to do three meetings a week, and and that's where I really found the fellowship. And um, did you find your work was understandable, or did, was that a were there more people around you ready to support you than you realised? Yeah, absolutely. Amazing support. Um, I, I don't work for that company now, but I do. Um, yeah, I went to the manager and he was just blown away because I've always turned up to work. I was hardly sick. I didn't call in sick. I just ground my way through it. And mm. I must have stunk of alcohol because, man. But, um, yeah, so supportive. So supportive. Um just yeah amazing and once you know I said to my family and, and close friends and that everyone just rallied around me and and you know that that's a big part of the start of my early recovery is that I just knew people had my back um, obviously there were some people that had upset along the way and and you know they had a bit of an axe to grind and I get that you know because um, you know the oh I told you so I knew you was like that and, and look fair play you, you, you know um, as I go along this journey more, you know, you dive more into that, what, you know, how you behaved in the past. But, um, yeah, I had amazing support and, um, you're really, really grateful for that. And I still, I keep in touch with my old manager every now and then and guys that I work with that are close to me and, you know, how's it going? They check in and, and that's it, cool. It's really cool. Open and honest and, um, yeah. It's, 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 it's unreal. It's a life you didn't expect you would have? Yeah, exactly. You know, it was at the start, it, it was tough. Um, it was really tough. Like, it was like mourning. It was like someone had died. I And I was just like, how am I going to do life without without my best friend, without the love of my life, you know? And it sounds crazy, but I just... How am I going to do life without alcohol? Because um, you know, when you put down the drink, you still, you still, I'm still left with me and and my problems, you know. And some of them, some of them can be quite big, and some of them can be so trivial. And that sometimes it's the trivial ones that just <laughs> spiral out of control. And you know, if it's left unchecked, that's what the problem uh, programs taught me. If it's left unchecked. Um, 
you know, it, it could lead lead me back to, to taking that first drink, and it's the first drink that'll get me. It's not the hundred after that, it's that first drink. If I don't pick up that first drink, mm. I can, you know, live a life that's, that's reasonably manageable most of the time and not unmanageable and that's that's what sobriety that's that's one of the key things that this thing is about yeah so um yeah i come out i come out of the treatment program with the bridge who they are just they're just amazing amazing people um you know the help is there if, if you're willing to to reach out for it and um obviously i was doing my three meetings and um you know, I, I, I connected. Well, I connected with a lot of people, but I, there was one person in particular that I, I could relate to, and he had really good sobriety and shared a strong message. So I asked if he would um, be my sponsor, and um, I got out on the Friday, and, and I'd spoken to him during the weekend, and um, we went and had tea in in a pub, and. Um, <laughs> And you know we just got to know each other, and and then we went to a meeting, and and you know I've still got that same sponsor, and 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 it's amazing what you know what what he's showing me how to do how to do the steps in the program, and and you know I can honestly say I'm it's surely slowly but surely I I'm getting I'm getting I don't know if relief is the right word I'm learning to live. A life in sobriety that is, is is just like nothing that I ever ever thought that I could do, and you know it's a it's a powerful thing when you when you experience that. You know the program for me it's not about learning and ticking boxes. It it really is about experiencing aspects of, of your life that you know when the going does get tough and things seem a bit hopeless that there's no thought around taking a drink to solve that or fix it which was you know i did that for 25 years of my life that's what the program's given to me and um you know it's 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 it really is a truly uh, a wonderful feeling to to actually want to live life without alcohol and i can't believe i'm saying that but that that's that's the honest truth that's wonderful it's uh look harry i've watched you and like i say you've been one of those people for me that's been a beaming light in the room it's somebody i've looked at that's helped me and uh, I have to say, it's been a real privilege listening today. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. I, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great journey. It's a great experience. It is, you know, there's, yeah, I just hope if anyone's listening to this and, and they do, you know, feel like they are suffering from, from alcoholism, you know, Dunedin is a, has a great community uh, based in and around this fellowship and, um, yeah, I'm just so grateful for the people in it, and and the love, and and the the compassion, and you know, I really feel like I belong. I'm a part of something, and um, mm. you know, to yeah, to keep what I've got, you know, I must give it away, and um, yeah, it's just a it's just a a wonderful way of life, and um, yeah, thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Harry. Take care, and I'll uh, see you at the next meeting. <laughs>
folks i hope you enjoyed that story it's a pretty amazing one Look, I just want to finish off with the show today. There is no membership fees to join AA. Uh, If you need to, or you have a want to give up and you have a curiosity on how can it work for you, please just come on in and visit us in a meeting. Uh, Sit in a meeting, start the journey. It doesn't cost you anything to come in. You can find all our meeting details on AA otago.org.nz or aa.org.nz for the rest of New Zealand. So all the meetings are listed on there. Please don't hesitate to jump on, have a look and you'll see. I'd like to thank you for spending the evening with us today. It's been lovely to have you here. And remember, if you want a drink, that is your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. In Dunedin alone, we have 14 meetings a week. We have a lunchtime evening meetings. Come, please, check out our website and you'll find them there. We also have meetings on Zoom, so those details are there as well. You know, you may like to just be in the privacy of your own home. If you need to reach out for help, please do not hesitate to call us on 0800 AA Works. That's 0800 229 Six seven five seven. Now this phone line is operated by alcoholics for alcoholics, so we can help. We have the same stories, so please don't hesitate to call on o eight hundred two two nine six seven five seven. Take care of yourselves out there, folks. Matiwa, everyone, it's been a pleasure having you with us. Until next time, thank you. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.